Makers, the show where two friends listen, discuss, and based only on their opinion, objectively rank every single album ever released in one single tiered list. I am one of your hosts, Josh Doler, and with me today is the illustrious Jared Richard. Jared, how you doing? What does illustrious mean again? Uh, just, you know, well-known, well-loved, with a lot of... Um, just people like you. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you, Josh? You know, I, I was doing a lot better before I couldn't describe what illustrious meant. And now I'm just feeling like a fool. Here, how about so. I quickly change the subject and talk about how I found a flight stick at Goodwill yeah, tell for me about 15 your flight bucks. St- yeah, tell me about your flight stick experience. Yeah, so I looked, I mean, so this thing sells for like 35, 40 bucks new. So it's not like I saved a whole lot, like, you know, found something super nice. But... It is a flight stick that works for 15 bucks. So I took it home, played some Star Wars Squadrons with it, which was super fun. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I really want to play Microsoft Flight Simulator, but it's still 60 bucks." And my partner was like, well, I also want to play Microsoft Flight Simulator and I have 60 bucks." And I was like, you do, do with that what you will. And then, they were, and then she was like, I'm going to send it to you so you can buy Microsoft flight simulator. So I did that. uh, And then the first thing I did was crash a plane in the river right next to my apartment. So you had your, just the perfect flight simulator experience. Yeah, I can, I can, uh, hopefully get a refund now because that's all I wanted. Yeah. Just sell the stick or set it on fire and throw it in the river. One of the two. Well, fun. Well, fun. I, uh, I've been spending the past like week doing a bunch of other non as fun stuff. I had family in town because my sister got married. Congrats to my sister. Congrats that, to that, Laura. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats. That happened. Uh, my mom and my family, you know, got upset because that's what you do in, at weddings, but it's fine. You're supposed to get upset at weddings? Isn't that what families are supposed to do? They get upset when things aren't specifically designed for them because as we all know, the wedding is not about the it's bride. It's not about and the, the gro- bride and the groom. It's, it's about, about the bride's fam- parents and the groom's parents. And extended family. Yes, 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 yes. Yep. Yeah. And then just kind of rewatching some old TV shows and uh stumbled back into Letterkenny and then was just like, Oh wow, Letterkenny. That's that's some good music right there. They got some good choices. They got some choice cuts. I've been meaning to I'm sure somebody's made a Letterkenny playlist on there's Spotify a, there, or YouTube. There's like five. I'm sure. Yeah. I haven't taken the time to look them up, but at some point I'm going to because so there are so many good songs. Yeah. Uh so then fell down a rabbit hole of like, oh wow, there's a lot of uh Quebecian um music in some seasons of Letter Kenny. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, here's this like oh Quebecian music? Quebecian Quebecian and Um But yeah, so a lot of uh oh, so here's this uh Quebecian uh prog rock band. Okay, cool. I'm just gonna stash this away for future right. future references. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna probably be in the future being like, yeah, I don't know what this French is, but man, we'll just do a Letter Kenny episode. Oh, ser- yeah, where we just randomly through pick three songs from Letter Kenny right. and then do out those just talk, albums. Yeah, no, a lot of Death from Above, 1979 as well. Just some Ooh. good stuff in there. So yeah, uh quick uh little musical update on what show tigers are up to i've heard oh. you guys had a uh 
doing some recording and had a pretty fun concert experience from what I hear. Would you like to share with the people your, um, yeah, your we, recent uh, concert? Yeah. We, we, uh, we broke ground on a new song recently. That's the, you got them backwards. That's the fun part. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. So breaking ground on, on new music. Always a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's one that Jake leads, uh, very introspective, very show tigers or to show tigers ah. uh, on that front, but very different in terms of production, what we're going for, um, and the sound that we're going for. Um, but yeah, we played a show. Um, and honestly, like this is like a 30 minute long story that I'm trying to condense down to like maybe five minutes. Right. So bear with me, but basically we played, uh, we played uh, two shows on Make Music Day in Salem. At one of our shows, uh, this old hippie lady saw us and was like, you should come play at my place. It's a cannabis club. Jared, for those who don't live in states where cannabis is legal or is frowned upon, uh, what's a cannabis club? A cannabis club is a place where a bunch of people that you don't want to interact with come together to get baked together because that's what they do. People who seek out getting baked with strangers are not people you want to get baked with. It's like attempting to recreate a dive bar, but for weed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Although they don't technically sell any weed because that would not be legal. You can't you can't consume cannabis on the premises or the premises. Wait, what? Of, uh, <laughs> OK, uh, so it's it's like a BYOB, BYOW. Yeah, it's BYOW. But also don't bring it. But uh, no, they can bring it like oh. they, they're fully allowed to to smoke weed on the property. OK, um, it's just as far as I understand it, at least mm-hmm. it's just that they can't allegedly like sell weed. Alle- allegedly, we're just going to cover our, our bases. Um, yeah, allegedly. I don't know. Um, Long story short, short, it was a shit show. Um, And like, I'm going to be real, like uh, Sterling, our drummer, he's in charge of booking. So we got the message through Facebook, which is never a great start. (laughs) We got the message through Facebook from her and she's like, hey, come play at my place. It's a cannabis club. It's in Kaiser, yada, yada. And Sterling's like, this sounds sick. And Jake and I apparently both somewhat uh, tried to reserve our our judgments. But uh, on the inside, we were both like, this sounds bad. This sounds bad, buddy. Um, And... (laughs) Yeah, we got there. It was it definitely used to be a church and it's got the vibe of a retirement community's rec center. Uh, Uh We were asked to be there like four hours earlier than the time we were set to play. um, And there was nobody there. Uh, And then great start. A half hour later, the woman who hit us up, she's like, yeah, I'll be there in 30 minutes. And then she shows up an hour after that. And it was uh, just every single. Yeah, it was just like every bad thing that could have happened happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, We couldn't get the PA to work for a while. They hung a a weed tapestry behind us. Classy. A A classy touch from a classy establishment. Right. Um. Yeah, it was it was just a bad experience overall. Uh, the our drummer's wife came, 
support and respect two of this lady's friends and that was our audience for the night uh two and we were asked to fill two hours which we usually play an hour set max so um we were stretching and uh we get through the first like uh 30 to 40 minutes of our set and we take a break and uh we're all so bored and so like why the fuck are we here right uh that we just decide that we're gonna get baked i mean you are at a cannabis club right um and the thing is i don't get high very often right so jake and sterling they're kind of stoners so they they were fine um i was so high um I was like, you know, in cartoons when it's super windy and they're like holding on to something, but mm-hmm. their body's completely horizontal. That was me for ah. the duration. It like I was on a roller coaster on the very end, digging my fingernails right. into the into the handlebars. And uh, you were just you were just hanging on for dear life, there. hanging on for dear life for the rest of the set. Um, and then, yeah, like it was just a bad like we played to nobody and we didn't get paid we got sent home with some weed <laughs> and you had a just a crazy ass trip while trying to play guitar and sing yeah um i did not want to sing after i got high i got high and i was like i hate my fucking voice i'm not mm. singing so i was i was phoning it in on that on that end of things i i'm surprised you're just like hey jake do you just want to take lead vocals for the rest of the show? All right, have fun, buddy. Oh, well, when we couldn't get the PA to work, Sterling was like, what are we going to do? And Jake and I were like, we're going to play acapella, well, the opposite of acapella. Instrumental. We're going to play fully instrumental. There's no way we're going to. Although if the three of you just stood up there and did acapella for your entire set, that would actually, you know? No. <laughs> What's new with you, Josh? Oh, geez. Not oh, geez. just trying to find just trying to find time to listen to some good jams and realizing that we serendipitously recorded our takes on the album 10 at the perfect time because uh 10 turned 30 in between the last time we recorded and when we're recording now yeah that was purely coincidental too because it was a random selection out of a list of 10 yeah just random number generator on the internet was like hey you should do this album so we're like cool and we listened and we talked about it and we both kind of had similar opinions on on the album overall Mm -hmm. and then the internet was like but what if those opinions were bad (laughs) what What if you were wrong what if uh you didn't feel those things and instead uh just bask in the glory that is pearl jam and it's like uh but okay yeah it was like in the last week every single like music news source that i follow was just like 10's turning 30 and it's time for you to revisit this absolutely stellar 10 out of 10 album 10 yeah and it's called 10 for a reason because that's how many stars it gets it just hurts me i don't know i i just i can't it's so funny feeling both of us have felt this a little bit in in some ways but i think this is the most directly like opposed to mainstream music criticism oh yeah for sure i've felt in a really long time for sure i mean that uh especially because like it wasn't like you know, you listen through the album once and you were like, I can't get into this. I don't understand what everyone else sees in it. It was like we sat down and listened through this album multiple times and took notes on it right. so that we could like actually properly discuss it. And then 
like we came to our own conclusions, which were that this album just does not hold up after 30 years. Right. And then everybody else on the Internet was like, you're not right. Yeah. I think it's this is one of the bigger examples of how nostalgia culture just trumps everything else at the moment yeah of hey you remember when you were like six and 10 came out and you felt like yeah as the six-year-old i relate to eddie vetter this person who has gone through drug addiction and has friends who've experienced homelessness yeah now i'm 36 and i feel those same things oh man um although i did um listen to pearl jam 10 again after that because they released a live recording mm-hmm. of every single song it's not just a concert but the best live versions of every single song off the album and and released it mm-hmm. and just straight away you can tell pearl jam is a live band yeah just like such a such a good well, live maybe band. we screwed up maybe all these uh people have been talking about that live version of the album yeah maybe <laughs> yeah the one that released in uh august 23rd 2021 that one that's yeah. that's the one they've been talking about for the past 30 years yeah they were that's the one they were saying hey Listen, holds up if i had that amount of clairvoyance in my it's, life it definitely holds up since it came out Yes, that is <laughs> it. I will say it's the best version of 10 you can listen to on Spotify at the moment. Oh, so there is that. But yeah, uh, yeah, you can just tell Pearl Jam just has become such a great live band. Um, and I, I really like the first half of the album as a live band album so well. As Jared's grabbing grabbing his second bev of the night, I tried to uh, I tried to yank it out between the knolls of the microphone since we're facing each other, and I want to hear what this is gonna. Ooh, that was good. Oh shit! But yeah, no, like the first half of the album is so rocking and just so in your face alive alive which is the song we both had a real tough time on because it was attempting to be kind of a ballad but it was a lot of really good guitar and it was kind of being anthemic but not really yeah it's so much better live they just lean into the fact that this is a this is just a fucking rock and roll song yeah that was the one i said that was the weakest song on the album yeah it's my it's a much better live song they lean into we're just a rock and roll band doing a rock and roll song it's less ballady like it still has the Mm. slower bits but it it keeps the energy i think that's just what i would say about the entire album is it just keeps the energy so much better than the Mm -hmm. recorded album did but you know the are same issues with the lyrics and a little bit of trying to get somewhere that it doesn't um, right. really earn are still there a little bit. It's less so of an issue live because they're already a bit more high energy with everything. So right. it's less trying to earn live performance can drastically change the way, yeah. uh, the way a song feels and even the way a song you listen to a song <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. Um, which, if- uh, I'm going to use this as a transition because yeah, we were, uh, you know, we spent last week talking about 10. I don't want to spend too much time on 10 this week. Yeah. And this uh, next band we've both seen multiple times live, mm-hmm. which might contribute to uh, uh, to how we feel about the album. Yeah. So let's right. let's go into it. Uh, so the first album, I'm not, I'm not skipping anything. Am I? No, you're good. Um, 
the first album we're doing this week is Blood Pressures by The Kills. And massive disclaimer, it is the band that both Jared and I have seen the most times live. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they're tied with a couple other bands. Mm. Um, I don't think that there's a band I've seen live three times, actually. Right. But I've definitely seen The Kills twice. Um. Oh, I've seen Young the Giant twice actually, and it was not as good the second time. <laughs> I saw I saw Young the Giant after they they just released their first album. Did you go to that one too? No, I not really. I I was never into Young the Giant, and I feel like that was a good <sighs> choice on I'm my part. That, I'm putting that on my list. Okay, that's fine. That but first I, album. Okay, sure. But yeah, so we massive disclaimer on what we say. We we love the kills live we're trying to be as objective as possible in this but they're oh i've i've got critiques yeah I, so do i but just just know going in if you have the ability to see them live they put on a great show for real um so yeah blood pressures it released april 1st 2011 uh it was the fourth fourth album that Allison Mosshart and Jamie Heinz released together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison was vocals and guitar on this album, and then Jamie was guitar, some vocal work, uh, Mellotron, drums, percussion, and production on the album. They use a Mellotron on this yeah, album? Yeah, they use a Mellotron on this album. Yeah. Um, oh. It was released by Domino Recording Company, and they were. Uh, recorded everything just like they did their three prior albums at the key club recording studio up in michigan in michigan in michigan yeah yeah because they are uh based out of the uk both of them are but they've recorded most of their like i think most of if not all of their albums in, in michigan. from the uk uh originally america but relocated to the uk uh when the kills formed oh yeah um, right. and the reason the kills formed is because allison mosshart moved into a apartment that Jamie was living in. Mm-hmm. Allison heard him playing and then she just continually bugged him to be like, Hey, we should form a band together. <laughs> hey, 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 we should form a band together. We should do band stuff. And then Jamie was finally like, okay, fine. I can't imagine saying no, no to Allison Mozart. Right. Well, he, <laughs> he, it, he took some convincing apparently. So, um, the kills, uh, reference, Sonic Youth, The Clash, Velvet Underground, Nirvana, The Pixies, Bratmobile, other 90s grunge, mm-hmm. punk, and Riot Girl bands is kind of their main influences, which I think really... That's, that's pretty all through. over the board. And, all over the board mm-hmm. and is definitely... I can see all of those things, mm-hmm. uh, but also doesn't like quite explain them, I don't feel like. I don't think it explains them, but I think when you s- pull out certain influences for certain songs you kind of see where all of that stuff is kind of coming from right i don't think it explains their sound overall but you can definitely pick out certain um like the riot girl like very feminist focused very right fuck men fuck the establishment like a lot of that lyrical punk in there and whatnot Mm -hmm. um and yeah like velvet underground just kind of creating no like aggressive walls of noise right a little bit you know all, all that good stuff um let's see here what else do we got um i like to can call this um like groove groove blues groove blues groove blues it, it kind of falls in the same um 
aspect is like Band of Skulls and some of those other mm. later thousands uh, garage blues bands that came out where it's less focused on like actual like Delta blues based and hard rock blues based. It's more just like sitting in a rhythm and in a jam. Right. For the I can entire see that, time. that aspect of it. I feel like there isn't that much blues influence, to be honest, in terms of like I can see that. Um. But I yeah, I don't know. The riffs that Jamie plays are so I, I just feel like are so unique to him. Oh yeah, they're um, definitely unique. And also And the handful of times that he solos, I feel like there's a bit of blues influence coming in there. Mm-hmm. But also like you can't play guitar outside of classical and not have blues influence. Right. So maybe blues is a little too um aggressive, but it's kinda I, it fits in with so many other uh bands that were kind of around at the same time that right. were garage blues bands that right they didn't go as heavy or as hard as say the white stripes or the black keys do right i i feel like what sets the kills apart from a lot of those bands and i'm not saying like that the kills is better than any of those bands just different yeah uh, yeah i just i i feel like they have such a unique identity to them and that's part of what i love so much about Mm -hmm. them um the the way the drums are sort of just this background component like not not background component but uh extremely repetitive and simple and unnatural sounding well do you know the reason why behind that please explain to me uh it's all drum machine well yeah yeah and it's all jamie programming the drum machine himself yeah so he's just setting i i like to describe this album on some of the songs specifically of just like jamie just kind of having a little bit of like i want to see what this guitar kind of sounds like oh and then this idea sounds fun while i'm recording all right i recorded the guitar and then Mm. All right, we'll figure out the vocals later. Right, like it's ve- it feels very improvisational in, in some points, um, even though it's it's written out. But I think he just imp- improvises during some of the verses, specifically mm-hmm. about w- how he changes the guitar around yeah. verse to verse. That's a, especially on this album. That's a very common thing where it's like he he'll have one riff for an entire song, and it's just variations on that mm-hmm. riff that are are what differentiate different sections of the song. Yeah. Um, the most interesting thing about this album uh, within the band's kind of existence is mm-hmm. this is the first album after Alison Mosshart recording toward two different Dead Weather albums, which the Dead Weather is kind of a, a this was super after group. the Dead Weather, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, after both Dead Weather albums, so it's it's a super group with well, the two uh, real Dead Weather albums. Yeah, um, <laughs> but with Jack White on drum, it's Jack White's drum project, basically. Right. Um, and then two uh, a guitarist and bassist that are both from Queens of the Stone Age, if I remember no, correctly. Um, Dean yeah. Fertitta's from Queens of the Stone Age. Okay. Uh, little Jack Lawrence. I don't know that he's ever played with Queens of the Stone Age. That okay. would surprise me. Okay. He's from the Rack and Tours for sure, and I that, don't know okay. if he was any if he was in anything of note before right. that. It again a Jack White project with a bunch of people from different bands. But yeah, so right. this was. Alison Mars Hearts after their big tour, you know, there's a there it's different from being part of the kills, being a supporting act for the White Stripes, which is where well, actually, and Jack White met. Uh it was the Rack and Tours. The Kills oh, was went on it? tour with the Rack and Tours, okay. if I remember right. Yeah. But anyways, being a supporting act for Jack White, mm-hmm. whatever the project he was in, versus being in a project with Jack White, mm-hmm. completely different level of exposure, experience, all that different stuff. And also, right. this is after Jamie uh heinz got married to kate moss the british supermodel oh yeah that's right i forgot yeah. about that so they both hit a very high level 
of fame in between their third album and their fourth album. Right. Um, that a lot of people at the time, a lot of music critics at least were a little surprised that they went back to do another kills album Mm -hmm. just because they kind of didn't need to. Um, I saw, we'll get to it later when we, when I talk about the, uh, contemporary reviews of it, Mm -hmm. but there was just a lot of very, um, condescending, very British tabloidy coverage (laughs) of it of like, wow, Wow, Kate Moss's a uh, little Kate Moss's little boy toy. Yeah, oh, look at him. He's, uh, st- he's still doing his music thing. How fun! How cute for him. How nice. Um, yeah, and you know, most of the guitar on this album is Jamie. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, what what do you think of the album overall? Let's get into let's get into it. What do you, what what did you think? So I love this album. Mm-hmm. I've loved this album since I first listened to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's a really strong entry um into their discography i think that it definitely marks a shift in i think like the over the quality of their albums okay um i think they had really really good songs before this album okay but that were pulled down by a lot of kind of less than stellar songs they didn't know how to write an album per se right and i think that this album flows so well i think that the energy is so well controlled um and it, I, it, it feels very cohesive all of the tempos are kind of within the same you know 20 to 30 B, bpm for the most part out of outside of a few different changes yeah, yeah it, it all just feels like it it does flow a lot better yeah um i think it's a little front heavy um but that's not the worst thing right uh what do you have uh for overall the first note that i have is that uh this album wants to fuck it either wants to fuck with you fuck you or fuck you up right but no matter what it wants to fuck right. um it has so much swagger behind fuck it is actually the first word i have written on my notes yeah <laughs> um <laughs> it it just feels like you know some of this it, it it feels like to me that uh, that transition that you were talking about, that harsh transition from being a fairly unknown band to suddenly Allison is part of a Jack White project mm-hmm. and Jamie is dating a you know fashion model from the UK. And the, as some people put it, the second most famous Kate after Kate Middleton right. in, in Britain. Like, And they came back to their main project and... Uh, sort of like came in with a new confidence like that that they kind of faced the world in their own separate ways in in new ways and like came back and were like cool i'm revved up let's fuck shit up right yeah um it's an it's intensely listenable Mm -hmm. for the entire album yeah i don't think that there's a bad track on this album i think there are definitely some a couple of weak tracks yeah there's some weak tracks um but no album is without weak tracks right and i think the thing that it really does good for itself is that it's intensely listenable as the main focus of your time if you're intent just being like yeah i want to listen to music and want to pay attention to this album it does a great job of doing that if it's hey i'm going on a drive and i'm hanging out with friends in the car really good driving music. it's really good driving it's really music. good driving music. if you were just like hey 
uh, we're going to have just like kind of a fun, sexy night. Mm-hmm. This is real good music to put on in the background of like, yeah, there's some, there's some sexual tension, some sexual energy mm-hmm. within all of the songs. It's whatever aspect of um, life you kind of want to put this on for, it's really kind of going to work, which is a really impressive for a, a band that kind of has, it's not a one note band, but it's kind of all the songs on this album kind of fit within a, a single box of fuzzy, gritty mm-hmm. garage punk. Yeah. There's no, th- there's nothing, there are no like clean recordings on this album. So it's got um, like the whole album has an edge to it because of mm-hmm. that outside um, of um, the last goodbye. But even in there, there's a little bit of edginess to it, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, actually, if you want, we can start there. The last goodbye, which is the, uh, one of the two ballads mm-hmm. on the, um, album. Uh, I think it's the better one out of the two. I like it a lot better than, um, wild heart, wild charms. Wild sorry. Charms. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I disagree. Okay. That's... I, I love wild charms. I like wild charms. I love how short it is. Mm-hmm. I love the lyrics. Okay. I love that it's just Jamie because that happens very, very rarely. That is that is true, yeah. Um and I I yeah, I think it lands at a perfect spot in the album. Like it because it's if I remember right, yeah, it's it's basically halfway. Yeah, it goes from nail in my coffin to wild charms, and then wild charms goes straight into DNA. Yeah, because if there wasn't that little breath between those Oh, it's definitely needed right there. It's it's fit perfectly in there. Um and I think it's uh, I like it's a nice progression and it's well recorded and I I really appreciate that one. I appreciate it too. For me, it I feel like I've heard enough people trying to be Lennon in different ways. This feels very John Lennon to me. It Interesting. Feels, yeah, it feels very John Lennon doing his solo stuff or John Lennon in the Beatles being like, "No, guys, we need to do." this kind of stuff and it also really reminds me for whatever reason i think it's mostly the chord progression mm-hmm. of um a song by green day actually the last night on earth from their 2014 album and i think i it my brain for whatever reason mm-hmm. can't disconnect the two um and so i think it just feels a little bit more by the numbers than the last goodbye does like it's last well, go- see that's the thing so <laughs> that's part of why how short it is is part of what makes it so good right if it was any longer than i mean i think it's like two minutes long no it's it's like a less, minute 15 I think. a minute 15 yeah um if it was any longer than that then i would probably be sharing some of these sentiments okay yeah um but it's i don't know it's just the perfect little breath and it's such a nice like it might be a little you know by the numbers it might be a little trite but it's just i don't know I, just, I feel like that's exactly what needs to be in that spot between those two songs. Right. In that album. Yeah, no. Um, a lyric I pulled out that I really like because it goes really well with the next song, DNA, which we can talk about next because the two songs can't really be separated at all. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, uh, Jamie sings, what became of those wild charms, the deep fry of the tide, the tug of the stars, how it stirs me, how right. it stirs me now to think my fire burnt out. And then in DNA... Um, it's written kind of as a response from the, the former right. lovers right. perspective. And then she's like, like, yeah, I had those wild charms or something like yeah, that. Yeah. True. I had my chance. True, true, true. I had those wild charms for you and oh, my fire burnt them out. Yeah. Of just being like, yeah, you want to know why you burnt out? Because I was too much for you. <laughs> yeah. You fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, 
Yeah, no, uh, but yeah, no DNA. It's just a great use of kind of the the quiet and loud dynamics, yeah. right? Um, and I think this is where kind of the Pixies Nirvana influence you you see in more kind of that like as we talked about a little bit last week, like '90s grunge of like quiet and then loud mm-hmm. is more effective in but from some bands than other bands, and I think they really mm-hmm. take what is effective about that style of songwriting and mm-hmm. dynamic building and just knock it out of the park with here out of the park. You know, it's just a ballsy in your face. I, I call it a blues riff, but if you disagree, like that's a, but just a good, very uh, in your face riff. Why can't I think of what it is? Oh yeah. Uh, right. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's definitely got like not really grunge so much. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to hit like, put that because it's so simple yes um which is what makes that song work oh 100 percent. yeah um what did i have written down for that uh might be my favorite song on the album yeah that's that's um i wrote it's dynamic between verses and choruses but it's also dynamic from start to end yes um which i think is like not the most important thing that's actually like a fairly by the numbers thing to do but um, it, they but, implement it so well yeah that's the thing is that because that riff is so simple um it sort of i don't know it's deceiving in a way you think that right and especially because um you know previous songs like you know you know they're using a drum machine for this song so it's mm-hmm. fairly normal for the drums to not really change all that much right. through the song you, it's almost like they programmed you to expect like this is going to be another fairly repetitive song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that the drum machine changes throughout the song, but just that uh, between the drum machine beat and that riff that stays on that one note for so long, that's really just two notes. Right. You know, uh, you expect it to be a lot more stagnant than it is. And I think that it's really cool that it, sort of tricks you it breathes and it changes and it kind of has life to itself even right. though it still stays within the same confines of what it does also just this outside of the last goodbye which is the alice mars heart sings that piano ballad mm-hmm. um this might be my favorite vocal track of hers it's just so powerful and it's just so in your face. Mm. And it's also yeah. really good duet usage in the uh, chorus. There, there are like three songs that I think I have written down. Like this is a great example of Jamie and Allison's voices together. Mm. Cause they, I don't know. Their voices just go so well together. They do. They really do. Yeah. Um, um, we can talk about last goodbye a little bit. Um, what I really like about it is it's very raw. You like, you can feel the raw emotion of this breakup song that is, for me, at least, you can feel the raw emotion of this breakup mm. song of like, listen, you're great. And I really, I, I like, I love you. It's just not going to work because like, you're not here for me. Um, so my issue with this song, I don't, I, I don't hate it. Right. I do like this song and I loved, I, they play it live. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so much fun live. Like it, not like, not fun, but it just like. Uh, you're in it when it's live. Good energy live. Good good live energy. It's a uh, it's a little melodramatic for me. Okay. Especially like 
something about the longing tone that Allison is using while she's singing and the way it's, uh, I don't know that melody, like the entire song just sort of has this, uh, sort of like, uh, almost like there's a candy coated level of sweetness, except it's like, like, uh, sadness. Okay. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's so over the top to me. And then when the strings come in and are matching the melody, uh, I don't know. It's something about this song just hits me as like, this is going so hard into it, but it goes so hard into it that it comes back around and becomes (laughs) enjoyable again. Like it, (laughs) like it's, it's so much that you're like, I I just can't help, but but also because of that, sometimes like, you know, it'll come on and it's just like, I don't want to fucking listen to the, Mm. like I can't, it, and I don't think I could ever listen to it within the, um, within that same mindset, you know, okay. like, I don't think I could actually listen to it as a breakup song Okay, because yeah. I don't feel like, it doesn't feel like genuine emotion to me. It right. feels, it feels like a cutout, like a cardboard cutout that's faded in a, in a shop window. Right. You know, like, no, I see what you're saying. I just, I don't know. I, I really like it, especially because I think this is one of the more vulnerable, the more one one of the more vulnerable songs that you will hear them ever write or play and i think this also kind of goes into the showing their musical maturity of the fact that they even considered to put this song together and and put it on the album right and i really respect them for that and i think something that just kind of puts it over the top for me as as liking it a lot is the added just kind of chuggy guitar just very subtly in the background towards the second half of the song, just to add a little bit of dr- of mm. drive to it. Oh, and- that's the other thing too, is that it's in three, four. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason that adds to it for yeah. me, not, um, I mean like that adds to the melodrama that adds to the over to the, over the top. Where it's like, this is in three, four, you are supposed to be sad. Right. Well, you also know? it's, it's, I, if I think I'm right in saying it's the only song in, in three, four that they have on the album. I think so yeah yeah so it i i understand because it's also like it's so out of place compared to the rest of the songs on the album it's in a different tempo it uses strings which none of the rest of the album does like i get where you get like the melodramatic the uh you're going for a thing that maybe right it's not as true i, I to know you. what it is three four is uh like the lullaby time signature you know what i mean right like that's that's the like nursery rhyme like not like there's a lot of like nursery songs in three, four, but I, I don't know where exactly that association comes from actually, but it, it's got that kind of like, this is supposed to be a sad, uh, mellow, not m- <laughs> mellow, not melodramatic, uh, right. but also yeah. melodramatic. Um, well, I think also part of that comes with the whole three, four is mostly used for, waltzes and it's more used in classical right and all all of that stuff. so i see where you get there i just doesn't agree with you a little bit but that all right. that's all right what what else do you have as uh, a as a good song right so well that's what i was wondering do you want to do you want to just go through our uh top picks yeah real quick t- tell me what you like the best tell me what you, you like the worst and we'll talk talk about those that we um, haven't talked about already so well i want to start with satellite real quick okay yeah let's do it um because that's probably with DNA shared for like favorite song on this album. Okay. Um, 
it's got an edge to it like it's uh yeah. i mean this whole album does but th- this has like a uh, it's got like this uh so having seen them live twice yes um i always liken uh allison mosshart's live energy like her live stage presence mm-hmm. to like a prowling like uh tiger or something and like someone who is definitely on the prowl to again like i said earlier to either fuck you or fuck you up or fuck with you uh and that's uh, like that comes across in this the musicality of this song to me okay um the production of it the tones that are chosen for the guitar um where it's like this is fun and groovy and like you could dance to this maybe if you wanted to. Right. But it's also got like this kind of bubbling aggression where it's like, uh, you don't like, there's something in the grass. You 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 don't want to take your eyes off of it because it might, might kill you. Um, it's got that kind of, uh, almost reggae beat to it. Um, yeah. Where the off beats are really emphasized. Right. Um, I love yeah it's just based on the downbeats and then everything yeah. else is yeah, on yeah. the upbeats yep. yeah um I love um the freeze um repeat um guitar pedal trick I, oh, I call yeah. it a trick but what it's it's just a pedal that he uses consistently I love the use of it in the song yeah it does it's such a great time and also when it hits the solo he uses it as well which i think is such a clever a clever use of that it's really interesting because he has such like in my opinion he has really unique guitar tones oh yeah um but he doesn't have very weird pedals like it's like he's got a couple of pogs he's got a couple of delays and they're Mm -hmm. like uh um they're like boss delays yeah they're like boss delays yeah um and then that uh like falling sawtooth tremolo right which is the reason i love falling sawtooth tremolo um and that's kind of like it aside from you know some drive and stuff but mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah i expected when they did that rig rundown with him for mm-hmm. a premiere guitar i expected to see a lot more like kind of weird stuff going on his, like his boutique board. you've never heard of this they've right. only sold 15 pedals but it's really just like uh i have weird guitars from the 60s and weird amps from the 70s and that's it yeah. <laughs> well also i think Jamie is a very good example of you don't need unique pedals to have a unique sound, which I think is something that for people who are within the guitar world, you're always chasing that, that sound, that tone, whatever it is in your head. And so many people like, Oh, the only way to get, get it is to spend $6,000 on this Klon and then you'll have it. Right. (laughs) Um, Um, my, my one complaint with the songs i think it drags at the end i think it just goes on too long i think that's a, an issue they have it, within the entire album in, um, in general is that they don't really know when to end songs in my in my opinion on so this is something uh you know so jake uh my bandmate does not like um non-verbal uh he doesn't like oohs and ahs for choruses and stuff right. like that um, which the chorus for this song is just uh, that oh, right. owing. Yeah. Um, that's very well layered and has some good harmonies in oh, it. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. It does it for me. I like, I can see where it would feel like it goes on mm-hmm. for too long, but uh, I don't know. For me, singing along with it and hitting a different harmony each time it comes around, I'm right. like, 
I want this to go on forever. You know what I mean? I think this is me attempting to divorce myself from seeing them live because live love this song, mm. but listening to it when I'm not, cause I usually don't sing along to, to music when I'm listening to it. Mm-hmm. So just not really singing along to it and just kind of listening to it. I'm just like, all right. Oh, we're doing. Okay. Yeah, we can do this. Oh, we're still. Oh, we're still going. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. Oh, we're s- still going. Oh, the, the singing ended. Mm-hmm. Oh, the guitars are still going. Uh, it just kind of does that for me. Um, uh, I can see that for sure. I what did I have written down here? Oh, also, I think this is another great example of Jamie and Allison's voices. Oh yeah, together. they they harmonize really well in this song. Um, I said owing chorus could have been a little tacky, but uh, it's so well implemented that yeah, it works. I, I like it just works so well in yeah. this song. I don't think I it's feel like, tacky at all. Yeah. Um, and then I just said the fucking tones, like the I don't right. know, the guitar tones in this song are just so on point. Right. Um, got anything else on that song? Uh, that's, that's all the points okay. I wanted to hit with that one. Um, I'm going to move on to one of my, my top two songs, uh, which is the next track, uh, heart is a beating drum. Like I love the fact, I think, the, oh, go ahead. no, I, I love the fact that it's a drum machine, but mm-hmm. they let the drums run the, sh- the show a little bit on this song. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can I, see that. I love the low end guitar and the, the higher solo on it. Just like the um, way that they m- are able to mesh those two together so well. I love the solo. It's got a great, the solo is really, it's got a great build up to it also. And then they, it's just, it's probably the best solo on the album. What I have written down here. Uh, the guitar. Yeah. The guitar, there's the clapping break in the middle of the song. I think it's after the first chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into that guitar and there's just like this major jump in energy just for that section of the song. Right. Um, they just add layers and it moves and it's just got, it feels like it's a, it's the song, it's the album that, or the song on the album that I feel like is the most alive, mm-hmm. including what they, you, how they use the drum machine. Like it just mm-hmm. all feels like it's, it's a living, breathing thing more so than any other song on the album. I think it's the weakest song on the album. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, what? Why do you feel that? I like, so we have an album full of repetitive drum beats, right? Mm-hmm. We have an album full of um, variations on the same idea for the guitar riff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Allison sort of um, doing her thing i don't know like she she's not she's the least predictable part of this whole concoction right okay um and to me this has like that recipe can easily go wrong okay uh if you if you feel me like that that's that's something that could easily be boring could easily be under undercooked to uh, continue the metaphor i i I know what you're Um, talking about and that's kind of how this song feels to me i feel like there's just a layer missing like there's there needs to be more bass like there needs to be uh maybe some cool harmony coming from jamie or through the verses or there's just some layer to me that's just not there during the verses right no i I see Um, what you're saying and i think for me i think it goes from being so simple to way more layered in a way that is pleasing for me. Mm. But I totally understand where you're coming from with 
you feel like it's a little undercooked, a little underbaked, a little bit of, well, we took this in like two or three takes and we got it and we think mm-hmm. it sounds good. We didn't develop it more than we yeah. probably could have. I, I feel like as far as the energy goes, like there's, cause the, the verses and the chorus are just that drum beat and mm-hmm. Allison's vocals. And then a, the, just like a little peppering of guitar. Like there's not a lot of guitar in this song. It's very like, sparse. I kind of like that. Though. Yeah, no, like conceptually that's great. Um, but that is the majority of the song. And there's that really cool point where it changes. There's that break with the, uh, with the clapping. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like fake clapping to me. I'm not totally sure, but it also sounds like it's like right. a lot of room noise at the same time. Um, so I'm not sure what that is, but there's that, that break and that, that, that ripping guitar tone. And it's so fucking sick for that section of that song. And then it goes straight back into this sort of like malaise a little bit. Yeah. Um, not to say that I hate the song, right? I, there's not a song on this album that I hate, but I feel, I just feel like that's the song that could benefit from maybe, maybe a little, another layer or some different mixing or something. I feel that way. The song I think is the weakest is "You Don't Own the Road." Mm-hmm. Everything that's you're saying, another one. Everything you're saying about "Heart Is a Beating Drum" is exactly how I feel about that. It's just like it kind of feels also ran. It feels like they kind of ran out of ideas. It's a little half baked. It's it could have it could have used a, two or three more passes. Mm-hmm. Like they, nothing. I continue to forget that song exists. Mm-hmm. I, like. Even after listening to it, you know, five, six, seven times over the past like two weeks, mm-hmm. every single time it pops up, I'm like, "Oh right, oh right." That right. and this, you know, this is an album that's only forty minutes, right? So to have that continually happen, it's definitely yeah. one of the more forgettable tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do think it's one of the weaker tracks, but I did, I uh, to me, hard as a hard as a beating drum is uh, just like a smidge more forgettable do you think it's because it lands in between a bunch of really strong songs whereas the back half of the album is a little less strong so it yeah, kind of just falls into the general like the second half is part weaker because it, it's satellite then hard as a beating drum and then nail in my coffin which is the whole what i love about that song is that the key changes become the song yes um i don't know why they do the key change the first key change i don't think it works but i really like the second key change okay like because they just change the key for like a chorus and then they go back to it i'm just i don't i it I, it teases that they're no. going to be changing keys a bunch more times later no and i i understand why they did it i just didn't think it worked I think it works. I I love that song. It's um it's really it's, fun. It's really fun. It's um, probably the most fun song on the album. Yeah. I it's also it's a, another one that like if you like to sing along the songs. This is so much fun to just like mm-hmm. see what harmonies you can come up with to go along with it and what harmonies are already there right. and like it's it's a lot of fun that chorus. I I think this also f- for me, at least, it, it kind of falls into that similar issue that Satellite does, which might just be that I'm not someone who sings long to songs all that mm-hmm. often, where it just, it just kind of gets a little repetitive and, and goes on a little bit too long, mm-hmm. which is a, a general feeling I have on, on some of the a majority of the songs on the album, honestly, is that like they just didn't really know when to end it. It, it feels like this is an album that would have really benefited from the 
technique of fading out at the end. Mm. I feel like, you know, specifically nail in my coffin. I would have loved if that song just would have kept on repeating nail in my coffin uh and just faded over like 30 seconds. Mm. I would, I, I think that would have been really fun. Hard pass. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. But, but I understand why you love it. I, I, it's, it's one of those, like, it's not my favorite, but it's also not the worst. Right. So, um, any other favorites you want to, you want to pull out? So I really want to talk about future start slow because I know that you have a history of not liking this one. Yes. I, <laughs> So this was the first song from the kills I ever listened to. I think it's, it was released as a, and for context, it's the first song on the album. Yeah. It's first song on the album. Um, it's also the least predictable song for the, what the rest of the album or not predictable, but it's not in line so yeah, much with it, the rest of the album. It doesn't fit into, uh, the rest of the album as, as much as it probably should. And I think it was a, it was a free single on iTunes at some point. Mm. And that's why I got it or whatever. I used to really dislike it. I like it a lot more than I, mm-hmm. I currently do. It kind of sits in that middle point of like, it's a, it's a really good song on a really good album, but it doesn't have any really standout qualities for me. I think the guitar work is a little, uh, a little, uh, like I, I think they do a great job with it. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's a very unique thing. I just don't think it, it's how it needs to for what they're going for for the song um i don't know why this adds to why i love it but he came up with that riff on an acoustic guitar Uh, okay that makes sense yeah i see that and uh like it was one of those things like they were just backstage somewhere and he was Mm. just messing around or they were i think you they i think they were on a tour bus probably um I really like the verses in the chorus, but as soon as it goes back to the main guitar riff, I'm just like, okay, okay. See, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't love know. that guitar riff. I like, there's something about how, uh, I mean, it's just the Jamie hints thing to me where it's like, it, it's a very simple riff mm-hmm. and he just adds these variations to it. Uh, I mean, cause really it's a, it's a four chord song. Yeah, at its heart, right? Um, and the, and it's those four chords through the entirety of the song. Yeah, and it's Allison's vocals that uh, really change throughout, um, which I think is I think is I think that that explains the kills and explains this album that, as a whole. You know, very that, well. That's very fair. I also really I think this is the best duet work that they have on the album as well mm-hmm. like it's also the most duet work they use on the album mm. but i think it's really good really good duet work um i also got to point out that i fucking love the sound of that drum machine on this song yeah um, it might be the best sounding drum machine i wrote like, down everything is dirty in this song but the hi-hats yeah it's and good that, hi-hats man hi-hats plural because there's one in each ear yes <laughs> And I love that. I love the uh, bounce back and forth. Yeah. The only other song I wanted to point out, which is my second, like close to hard as a beating drum, like favorite is pots and pans. The last song on the album. I love the fact that it's mostly acoustic, but it, the, mm. uh, the drive from it comes from a palm muted electric. There's no right. drums the entire time. I really love the sound of that acoustic in that song too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know what what kind of guitar it is or what how what their setup was for miking it, but I I really like the way that guitar sounds. Yeah, it's Banks. And then just that electric coming in towards the very end with that just oh, heavy yeah. with, tremolo with, with the falling sawtooth. Yeah, yeah, and then just repeating the lyrics for the. the, the the very end just like how it fall i, I yeah. think this is what something i wish that it would have felt like more of like it's just falling away at the end mm-hmm. like just that that falling away lyrics you know this like the song that's kind of about like just a long night of, of, of fucking real good and just being <laughs> um yeah I, yeah I wrote that it's a slow burner and a great way to end an album yeah um, um and i i just love it because it's it's different in the right ways for me mm-hmm. i i think um I think we actually hit every song. No, we missed a few, but I think we I, only haven't talked about "Damned If She Do." Uh, we haven't talked about "Baby Says" either, oh, which is we don't have to talk. About we don't have to talk about it. The, the, <laughs> or maybe we do if we don't like. If we both don't think it's that good. No, I, I think it it falls within the whole like it's a good song on a good album, but it doesn't really stand out either way. The only mm-hmm. real interesting thing um, that I wrote down is like it's got big "Give Me Shelter" from the Rolling Stones riff or mm-hmm. "Energy on the Riff." That's about it. I kind of see that, yeah. Yeah. I don't um, know, yeah, it's just kind of like a low energy song that doesn't um like the lyrics are okay but not enough really to salvage it for me. Yeah. It, again, it just kind of fits into that like it's a good song on a good album but it doesn't really stand out either. Yeah, way, I should so. specify that by salvage it, I mean take it from a good song to a great song. Yeah. Like take it from a song that doesn't have a star next to it on my list to a song that does have a star next to it exactly. on my list. Exactly. Um so let's move over to some of the contemporary reviews. Um Rolling Stone uh gave it four stars out of five. The poll quote I got from it was all over blood pressures. The kilts build up a m- mood of seething sexual tension like everybody in the club is getting hot but nobody's getting lucky (laughs) uh pace gave it uh 8.6 out of 10 on on the new album everything that's good about the kills has gotten better and everything that's good about the kills is what makes a great rock record blood pressures is mixes heavy gainy hard rocking guitars with a whole lot of making love to the mic it strikes the perfect balance of songs that makes you want to break whiskey bottles and those that those that are just right for moments worth remembering. Mm. Uh, the lowest one from a mostly respectable site that I got was from Slant. Uh, that was three stars. Uh, and the poll quote that I got that I think does a really good job of explaining why people may not be a fan of the album Mm -hmm. is that it's uh perpetuating a high wire act that essentially involves a small bag of tricks shaken up a little differently each time the kills write songs that are invariably concave structures spacious echo chambers for lurching fuzzed out guitar and soft staccato talk singing that sounds exactly like what what else are you looking for in music (laughs) (laughs) but it's you know if if people did be like i know for sure if you like See, that's the thing is that this is, um, you know, this is part of an overarching genre that we are both well versed in. Mm -hmm. And for somebody outside of that overarching genre, um, they would look at this and not be able to differentiate between songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And so I could totally see that somebody that is not into indie rock, somebody that is not into like, you know, heavy uh distortion guitars. heavy distorted guitars mm-hmm. punky riffs punky not funky sorry yeah. uh you know thing things in that wheelhouse mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't regularly 
work within that and right. doesn't listen to stuff like that. Yeah, if you're not well versed in this, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference at writ large, like what makes the White Stripes different than um, the Black Keys that is different than Band of Skulls that is different than the Kills, which are right. kind of like the the big four you could say of that blues or that mid late thousands uh, garage punk um but yeah no i think that's i think that's correct for us yeah okay (laughs) um but you know what i mean of like that's they're all similar enough that if you're not if it's not a genre that you're well totally uh, understand well versed know the the nuances it, it kind of can be a little paint by numbers of what you've been like oh that's like what the white stripes did right uh but just slightly different it's like well it's 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 more than that but yeah um i don't know man it's good out it's a good it's a album, good album. It's a good let's give album. it a fucking score yeah all right so we are uh following our patented uh patent pending uh rating system of rating it out of however many albums we have already rated uh, so we have already rated two, and we're adding one because this is the third one. So we, right. we give this give a, a score, score out of out of three. Three is the highest. One is the lowest. Um, uh, very, Josh, you're up first this time. Ah, oh, geez, this is very interesting to me because I'm trying to decide if I really like what Jack White's Boarding House Reach went for more of the it's maximalist it's all over the place it's well, doing so well, many remember, different things we can bump it once we figure out where it would be in the list so yeah. you can just like this is how i'm gonna do it at least uh-huh. is that uh i'm going to say okay i can give this album a score out of three regardless of what's on the list or where it'll be on the list this is what i would give it a score mm-hmm. out of the total you know and, that's and a- then wherever it lands if i feel like it shouldn't be above or below a certain album then i'm gonna bump it right because we can bump it one of two ways yeah you're right for that i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a three out of three i'm giving it a three out of three too okay i can't get i can't justify giving that a 66 percent score yeah you know when you put it that way you know, yeah, yeah that's a three out of three it's a three out of three sure. album all right so then the question then comes down to is it better than boarding house reach because that's uh currently top of the list so this what three out of three makes it higher personally i think this has more bangers really yeah i uh, but like i I love this album and i love this band but i also fucking love boarding house reach right you have more of an emotional attachment to boarding house reach than i do i i don't have an emotional attachment to it i just i have a purely i have a purely objective musical attachment to it no you're right i'm sorry sorry album sorry your your objectivism has led you to saying that you know what we haven't figured out because we talked about that you know we can bump up or down we didn't Uh say like do we have to agree on a bump yeah i think we have to agree we have to agree on a bump would you want to bump blood pressures down um because that's what we have to figure out. Do you want to bump blood pressures down because you like Boarding House Reach more? Even though Boarding House Reach, remember, it got a two out of two. So it's still 100%, but only got a two. Right. Yeah. And look, these are two albums that I think well deserve. You know, no, actually, you know what? I'm bumping it. I want to bump it down. You're going to bump it down? Ooh, okay. Make the make the pitch to me. I got to make the case. Yeah, make okay. the case to me. Um. While... I think that this is a really stellar entry into the discography of the kills. And I think that it's a, uh, a defining album for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it 
is also a little safe. And I think that it's those safeties that we were picking up on as sort of weak points on the album. Whereas Boarding House Reach in its entirety is Jack White throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and then then working with whatever that was. Okay. And like pushing him pushing himself outside of his boundaries and ending up outside of a lot of other people's boundaries. Right. And I think that that's worth being above blood pressures just just for the pure like reaching for the fucking stars with that one. The the differences the on, balls on that album. Right. The differences <laughs> between blood pressures and boarding house reach are the bad songs on boarding house reach are uh-huh. bad because it tried something and it just didn't work, but it, it, it still tried something. It went uh-huh. for it. And when blood pressures, it's bad. It's like, yeah, it's just a bad version of the other 10 songs on the album. So because of that, yeah, we're going to bump down blood pressures and boarding house reach is going to, is going to keep the throne right now. Oh! So oh! the, uh, the I- current list <laughs> We got to come up with like a soundbite to play whenever we bump something like I, th- I think it should be a really big deal if we bump something. I'll find I'll find a uh, I'll find a good yeehaw. <laughs> yeehaw. And there's our sound effect. <laughs> for when we- oh, um, I, I clipped for sure. I thought I backed up enough. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Um, so, yeah. So the list currently sits as Boarding House Reach by Jack White. Number one. Blood Pressures by The Kills at a very close number two. (laughs) And then by some distance, 10 by Pearl Jam, (laughs) number three. We are going to take a short break and we are going to come back and talk about the second album, Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron. All right. Welcome back. We are here on album two for the uh, two out of two albums this episode right you know just over clarifying everything we're doing so we're doing pieces of a man uh by gil scott heron uh it was released in 1971 was the only date i was able to find of when it was actually released because this was an album that no one knew about when it first came out oh really yeah um they have the recording dates it was recorded over two days april 20 uh sorry april 19th to 20 in 1991 and then it was released later. 1971 1971 thank you then it was released later in 1971 uh it was his first studio album but it's not his debut album right um it was so it's gil scott heron um doing a little bit of guitar piano and vocals mm-hmm. mostly vocals um hubert laws is the flutist flautist flautist um and the saxophone player uh brian Jackson, I believe I had to. Yeah, Brian Jackson was piano and electric piano, Rhodes, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burt Jones on the electric guitar, Ron Carter on bass, Bernard Purdy on drums, and then uh, Johnny Pate was the conductor of the band in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. Re- released by flying dutchman studios and it was at, recorded at the rca studios in new york city um yeah so it's his first studio album but it's not his debut album because his debut album is a spoken word recorded album. live right uh recorded live yeah with just some uh congos and another vocalist helping mm-hmm. him out doing all that stuff so this is the first time that it's 
musically backed right um, and his debut singing debut singing as well yeah uh and the reason that he got such a um large um production budget per se with getting a, a backing band uh was because his debut his debut spoken word album did really well a lot of um musical um cr- critics and reviews and publications at the time were just like yeah this is not a music album but it's also a musical album and they really liked it it uh was a lot more rage focused than mm-hmm. this album is a lot yeah, more this, like, this one's fairly uh, uh personal fairly um very personal uh exposed yeah and just like full disclosure jared and i are two white dudes right living in the year of our lord 2021 in salem oregon in salem oregon which news flash to a lot of people who may not know oregon super white doesn't have a lot of diversity outside of a large hispanic population at least in salem right um so yeah that that was uh one of the main things that when it was decided that we were going to be doing this album. I was like, this is not an album that is meant for us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of issues and a lot of, uh, personal struggles that are going to be discussed in the lyrics of this album, which of course the lyrics of this album are extremely important. Right. Um, that are, things that we maybe on a surface level would be able to relate to, but at their core are really part of, uh, a a black man in uh New York in yep. the in the seventies who is trying who is part of the Black Power movement uh Black Panther as, Party yeah mm-hmm. um and is you know facing a lot of discrimination and facing a lot of issues um that are you know part of being a person of color part of being specifically a black person especially in that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Gil Scott Heron was a a spoken word poet, an activist, a, a leader, and all these different things. You know, he was very critical. He's his entire life been in, incredibly critical of the U.S. Uh, apparatus, government. Mm-hmm. He was very critical of the fact that they poured millions of dollars into putting a white man on the moon, but spent no money on trying to help liberate you know black Americans. Like right. liberation I- ideology for black America is, is inseparable from who he is. And that's just a movement and a thing that we can understand on a more academic level mm-hmm. and maybe an empathetic level, but we, we can't understand to a, a core level. Yeah. So there's going to be this just level. There's, of- there's definitely sort of a, you know, where the, the last few albums that we've looked at are definitely geared toward who we are as people. Right. Whereas this is something that this is a message that while needs to be heard by people like us is not necessarily meant for people like us. Right. Um, a lot of, it's still a very poignant album. Um, and I think that there are a lot of, uh, ideas that need to be explored and talked about, um, that, uh, we are not the best people suited to be having that discussion. Right. So we're going to be looking this more on the musical side. We're going to be looking this at this more um, uh, with the understanding that there's kind of a rift between mm-hmm. us and what this album is. Yeah, there's just a generational cultural feeling and history that we can't 
feel, but right. we can do our best to understand and, and appreciate. Um, a little bit of background on him in general. He has a very interesting background. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was born in Chicago um, and spent a lot of time in Chicago and New York and a little bit in, in L.A. So he a, a lot of the growing up is in those more black majority um, suburbs within or um, not suburbs, more uh, urban areas, yeah. urban areas. Um, his mother performed opera in New York City. Yeah. Uh, and then his father, who was Gil uh, Scott, I believe. Um, no, it was Gil Harrison. Sorry. So Gil Harrison, his dad, um, was nicknamed the Black Arrow. He was a Jamaican uh, soccer player, footballer, <laughs> uh, who was the first ever black athlete to play for um, one of the largest clubs in the UK, uh, Celtic in Glasgow, Scotland, one of the most historic clubs in all of European mm-hmm. soccer in general. So very interesting family dynamics to come from. Um, his parents separated when he was young, went to live with his grandma in rural Tennessee. Mm-hmm. His grandma died when he was 12 and he moved in with his uh, mom in the Bronx mm-hmm. when he was 12. He got admitted into an Ivy League prep school. Um, and was one of only five black people in the entire school. Um, when he was having, this is a, a fun poll, uh, poll quote from Wikipedia is that, uh, and it might be an apocryphal tale, but when his admissions, uh, advisor to, um, f- what was it? Uh, I think it was Franklin school. No, Fieldton. Sorry, Fieldton School. So when he was uh, getting admitted into Fieldton School, which is, mm-hmm. you know, private Ivy League prep school, uh, his ad- admin said, uh, how would you feel um, if you uh, were walking up the subway steps and you saw someone driving by in a limousine? And he responded to his admin uh, administration advisor at the time trying to get him his. I'd feel the exact same way as you would, because I know for a fact that none of you can afford limousines either. <laughs> um, so even from a very young age, very well spoken, very smart, very well versed within creative writing, English writing and, mm-hmm. and very politically aware at the same time as well, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a young black man in the sixties in the Bronx, New York, like that's a very specific time and a place that we, we don't fully understand, but, um, was kind of next to and near to a lot of, um, very culturally changing, very, uh, pro black, uh, black, um, artist movement stuff Mm -hmm. was happening at that time. Um, and he actually met Brian Jackson, uh, who does the piano um, at college when he went to Lincoln University in Philadelphia. Mm. Um, the first four songs on this album were just written by Gil. Um, and then the last seven were written by, uh, co-written by Gil and Brian. And I think you can really hear mm-hmm. the difference in lyricality and also musicality between all of that. Um just as a uh, sidebar on this, uh, if you listen to this album on Spotify, there are three songs at the end um, by a sub band called uh, Black and Blues. Yeah, which, which was his original band before this project. Right? Yeah, that was the band that he and uh, Brian had in college together. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, we're not going to be discussing those. Yeah. Um, if you listen to this album on all, Spotify, yeah. those three songs will be on the end. And it actually lists those as mm-hmm. separate as a separate artist. 
um but it still includes them on this album like it's a compilation album almost but those were not on the original cut of the record, so mm. we're not going to be discussing them. Yeah, I they're think, also drastically different from the rest of the album. Yeah, and I think they were added in uh, later when because the album got re-released on uh, CD in 1993. So I think that's when mm. those got added in. But yeah, so if you're listening to it on Spotify, and the last three songs sound completely different than the rest of the album. That's why um, definitely still worth your time, but we won't be discussing it today. We're just talking about the original track listing. Um, what do you think about the album? Um, I think that the album is important. Okay. Um, I think that it's a good album. Um, I don't think it's... I could see myself buying a copy of it. Okay. Um, and putting it on every once in a while. Um, but it's a little homogenous for me. Okay. Um, and I think part of that is the time period in which it was made and the, uh, the musical aesthetic that was, that they were going for with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it feels, it, it, it kind of lacks, uh, dynamics from song to song for me. Okay. Um, but I but I still think it's good. And I think that like individual tracks um, outside of a compilation of a lot of similar sounding tracks to me. Right. Are really good. This is more of a collection of songs than an album per se. Right. That kind of. Yeah. That vibe. Uh, how do you feel overall about the album? I think it is as relevant now as it ever has been, especially with the lyrics that he has written and i think we're gonna get into that as well i think it's deeply important not just as what it was talking about at the times but what it foreshadowed you know it was kind mm -hmm. of on the forefront of neo soul uh like blues jazz oh yeah progressive i mean just poking soul. around on the internet it was like you know the first track from the album the revolution will not be televised is like credited basically as like this is what started hip-hop yeah. as a genre yeah it proto hip-hop like the the first one yeah like it's also just such a in your face like you're not allowed to not be a part of the revolution if you want to be a part of the revolution basically um this is what the entire song is it's like you're no the revolution is not going to happen on the tv you're not right. allowed to just hang out and watch it happen right live it's, it's very yeah um it like that that specifically is something that carries across to today a lot um, is the idea that um, this revolution is not for you. It is for us. And we are going to decide what this revolution mm -hmm. looks like. It is not up to you as somebody with privilege. It is not up to you as somebody, you know, who <laughs> who's white. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I that's that's something that I didn't really pick up on in this song until. And actually, uh that this played on the radio like two days before we recorded our last episode. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, cause I was listening to KMHD and I was like, uh, I really need to look up this album. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I totally forgot that it was Gil Scott Heron. So when we right. decided on that album last week or whenever we recorded our last right, yeah, episode, yeah. it was just like, uh, it didn't even occur to me. And then I listened, I pulled it up and I was like, Oh, 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 this is this one. It's, it's this one. Yeah. No. Um, um, the song also got a lot of, um, play recently because it was the, uh, trailer song for, uh, 
a documentary about kind of the 70s, 60s, 70s movement within Harlem, within the Bronx that was called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Right. So therefore it was. So it's kind of getting back into the cultural mainstream. But just the um, very well done beats in the background, really good flute work. Like the yeah. flute work throughout this entire it's, album is, is really solid. Uh, especially on... Uh, we're, uh, Let's just talk we're about this it. first track. We're in it. We're, yeah. we're in it. We're in it. Yeah. Um, the, this track is so, uh, it's just so good. Like this is what, for sure one of the best tracks on the album and the flute work in it is so perfectly placed. Oh yeah. Um, where it's not, uh, I don't know. It just fits everywhere that it pops in. It's mm-hmm. like you're, you're doing exactly what you need to be doing to add just that little bit of spice to yeah. this. A flute can very easily be overpowering because it is a lead instrument in a, in a sense, you know, a a flute is one of the leads kind of within woodwind band instruments in general. Like Mm. it it can take a melody really easily. It it sits in that register that grabs your attention. Uh, yeah, definitely the register in which it sits. The, the timbre of it is what I love about it because it's got a very, um, it's got a very kind of hollow sound to it. Yes. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> uh, speaking as somebody who used to exclusively play on his neck pickup, mm. um, <laughs> I, that's, that's what I really, really enjoy about flute is like flute has this very specific timbre and it's so like when it, I just appreciate flute whenever I hear it. Right. I don't hear it enough in my opinion. That's, that's fair. Yeah, no, but, um, also just great delivery throughout the entire thing. The things that he only chooses to repeat what, what he says twice um at the very end when he repeats the revolution will not be televised multiple times and then also there will uh you will not see uh pigs sh- shooting down um brothers Brother, on the street yeah. you will not on see the instant re- well that's the, the thing it's instant, the instant replay yeah. and he does an instant replay yeah, of exactly. that line like it's that's so well done and all of the cultural references are stuff that it, it, you have to kind of look up if you're our age because we understand some mm-hmm. of it of like who nixon is um right dick and jane um white lightning you know all of these different things we kind of grab you know xerox all, all right. that stuff we know but, xerox is but you know there's things like uh yeah it's just talking about you know green acres beverly hillbillies you know these these cultural touchstone sitcoms yeah, hooterville junction uh a, from a, from, from petticoat, petticoat junction, junction. yeah and I have no idea what either of those things are. Right. And it's like, I under, I know what Green Acres and Beverly Hillbillies are. Cause it's the, uh, those are two sitcoms that are like, yeah, the country folk hit it big and move into the big city. And it's the cultural clash between that. And it's like, but also it's, those are very white at the same time. So this, this entire thing is just talking about how, you know, the revolution is not really for the white person and for people who are not culturally engaged, you know, it's, it's going to happen on the streets and it's going to happen through non-white people kind of starting everything. Also, I feel like there's a, uh, another part of this, you know, cause again, like we're, we're experiencing this from our place of privilege. Right. Um, and I feel like this song is also for, for black people. Like it's saying like, um, you know, this is not going to be corrupted by the white capitalist uh, mm-hmm. nationalist machine that, you know, is uh, Xerox and Rocky and Bullwinkle and Spyro Agnew. And like uh, it's it's going to be 
not it's not going to have a theme song written by francis scott key or the rare earth being the only being an all-white pop music band signed to motown records or johnny cash or or tom jones you know just all these white people who you know specifically johnny cash and rare earth being two white people or white groups of people that specifically took black music and black culture and then reappropriated it to white culture right it's Um, it's more i i feel like um that's something that you know like this is supposed to be a reassurance to people for whom this revolution is meant that it is not going to be co-opted and corrupted Mm -hmm. um and that's like how there's just like at the time like you know in this in in today's world this is a common thing in hip-hop this is like call outs this is like name dropping you know this is this is through and through a huge part of hip hop is just ref- cultural references mm-hmm. that are that when you understand what is being referenced it's it's funny or it's satirical or it's uh or it's pointed and uh like biting uh social critique right you know where where we sit now a lot of this is lost on us yeah and it took looking this up on wikipedia to see there's a list of references that you know it's explaining what all of these things are with uh click-through links and stuff right and also just like the fact that i i think the two aspects that i like the most about this is the you know, NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32, you know, in the local courtroom or whatever. It's like, this is not something that they get to predict. This is right. not something that they get, to, they get to be a part of. And also um, when it's talking about how, you know, like it won't um, make your bad breath go away. It uh, won't get rid of the nubs, you know, which is um, was slang for the term for just stubble, yeah, and, stubble. And, and whatnot. And it's just like, yeah, it's not good. The revolution is not to make you feel better about yourself. The revolution is not to uh, make people feel better about being able to predict the future. Like it's in the streets. It's happening. I think it's a song that even in 2021 is a really good explainer of like what activism really looks like. Um, And I think that goes across cultural um, and generational ideology, even Mm -hmm. though the song and the content of the song itself is not something that is is meant for us currently the spirit behind it is something that is still here you know what 50 years later so yeah that's the first song on the album um and i think it's the most culturally important song which is why we're spending so long on it yeah for sure um it's also the only uh like proto hip-hop spoken word style song Mm -hmm. in in the whole album the rest of the album he goes on to sing. Um, and he's a good singer. I like his singing. I really do like his singing. Um, he He's not a strong singer. I'm, I will say that. There, okay. there are... Um, there are a handful of times throughout the album where, he, you know he would definitely be getting pitch corrected in today's music industry. Right. Um, and I think that there are some warts on his vocal performance. Mm -hmm. I think that it's important that those warts are still there. Right. Um, Okay. I think that that's part of, um, the charm of the album, calling it the charm of the album kind of makes it feel a bit more, uh, uh, less, I don't know. 
less important than it actually is. Yeah. It, uh, what I what I mean is that like uh I feel like the warts on his vocal performance are part of what like contribute to the feel of the album as a whole. I think it still allows you to feel the spoken word poet um, yeah. background that he has of this is raw, this is real, it's not as uh, trained, as media trained, as perfect as one could hope for, but that's not really what he's really singing about throughout the entire album. You know, I, I think there are some some songs on the album that he's trying to hit a certain thing. Like um, for me, when you are who you are, yeah, I'll call it a morning um, are both kind of one in the same of very try to be positive pro people songs. I could probably use from a little bit more vocal tra- uh, classical vocal training mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Um, both kind of radio friendly. Um, I think yeah, when you are I, who you are is the most radio friendly song on, on the entire album. Uh, to me, that was, I think I'll, I'll call it morning. Um, do you want to, do you want to get into highlights for the album? Yeah. Um, for me, the highlights are obviously the revolution will not be televised. Yeah. That that's is, a, that's a given. I think that honestly is probably one of my, removing it from everything else like one of the most top 100 songs that i that for me like if i go to recommending people like what is good music i'm like listen to this song right just if you want to understand hip-hop if you want to understand modern um urban culture in in general when it comes to what does it look like that reminds me actually i really wanted to bring up because i was talking about on the last episode about how um, when we were talking about 10, about how sometimes uh, it's really important to uh, analyze something within the context of when it was created, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not. Right. And yeah, with 10, it was like we just got a bunch of white guys together to play music, and that, that's, you know, it, it kind of You don't really need the context to shape your understanding of, of it mm-hmm. um, versus this, where it's like this was a. This came out of a specific point in time in a specific culture and is purely a result of of that, you know. Um, And so this is this is an album in which I was thinking of it in the context of when it was created. Right. Right. Um, Um, I think for me, um, the other two real real standouts um, are "Home Is Where the Hatred Is," mm-hmm. um, which is just a fantastic song. Um, great piano riff the entire time, just the piano leading. Yeah, everything. This is the other song that I think he gets the most uh, spoken word poet. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, just talking about how I, I think home in the song has multiple different meanings. Home being for sure. A, a physical place, home being a mental place, home being a reliance on um, a drug addiction. Because mm-hmm. um, the entire song is about how he's this person who doesn't want to go home. Uh, home has so many bad um, memories for him and mm-hmm. bad ideas for him. And it throughout the song, it talks about how you know people are trying to tell him to quit his drug addiction. And at the, the last verse, he talks about how home is where the needle mark 
is, Mm -hmm. you know, about a a heroin addiction, most likely um, based off of that. Right. Um, I I think that also um, I think this is really interesting. Um, I think that it's not just that home is like a variety of things. I think that it's home is not a wholly good thing. Okay. Yeah. I think that that like many things uh in our world we like to you know ascribe a a good and bad label to right. things where it's it's like this is something that is can that can be corrupted but is meant to be a good thing and this is something that can be like uh redeemed but is generally a bad thing and it's like home mm-hmm. could home can be a place that is both uh, welcoming and rejuvenating and and necessary and needed right and it can also be something that's destructive and that needs to be avoided sometimes right and, and it I, can be those both of those things at once yeah and i think the song also is just a great piece of social commentary of people who see people on the streets who have drug addictions or mental illnesses or anything else that's happening basically telling them what to do with their lives and in it, he's just talking about like, you know, have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever tried to get out of a place and turn? Uh, I think he specifically the one of the lyrics is turn your uh, wicked soul inside out just to let people watch you die mm-hmm. of like you. You don't understand what these people are going through. Um, get ready okay. to take another drink because it's another reference to 10. Okay. I think that's the um every single time we reference <laughs> this is, this 10, is our, take a drink. Uh our our uh diametrically diametric opposite uh, yeah, album. Exactly. Um but in ten when um you know Eddie Vedder is talking about um writing from the perspective of of a homeless person, like it's very on the nose, point by point, it doesn't really kind of what we were talking about last time of it doesn't really get into the experience as much this right this is the opposite this, of this that. is the opposite of that it gets straight into this is what it's like you know home is a is a place where maybe i could go but also i don't feel safe there home is also this drug addiction i have that keeps mm-hmm. me away from living a better life and and home is also these streets where you all you people clutch your rosary beads and and pray for me but you refuse to do anything for mm-hmm. me so um, I do have, we were talking about this during our break is that we, uh, you know, we're ranking albums. We're not ranking songs. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, listening to a song in the context of an album is different from listening to a song by itself. Um, and I think that this song would have benefited from being at a different point in the track list. Okay. Um, I feel like, um, you know, the revolution will not be televised kind of sits by itself um because of the spoken word delivery because of mm-hmm. the um kind of stripped down production um the very that hip hop right feeling uh backing beats to it um but like that uh that electric bass that's uh oh, it's so good it's so good it's like it's uh, very midzy but not not uh it's very it doesn't have a lot of highs it's very soul funk but it stays and in it in, in the place it needs right. to be yeah um and also in production the drums are playing if you're listening uh in stereo drums are panned to the left bass is panned to the right like mm. hard panned yeah. um and that is the same for the revolution will not be televised save the children lady day and john coltrane 
and then you get to home is where the hatred is and you still sort of have that same kind of production you still mm-hmm. have uh the same overall feel as those previous songs in terms of uh in terms of the way the music is presented okay um that it starts to feel a little samey and a little homogenous to me which i think that shows the fact that the first four songs are all written by Gil Scott Heron by himself. And then the rest of the album is written is co-written with Brian Jackson. And I I think I understand what you're saying. I think it's the second strongest out of the four that Gil himself wrote. Mm. Um, I really like save the children just as a hopeful song, but also one where it's like, it, I think this is another song that is very um, applicable to today where it's like, yeah, no, the children are a future, but also what the fuck are we doing right now to make the future possible for the kids to like save it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I understand though of like four songs in a row of the same basic production. It, it can get a little, right. Um, I think I, repetitive. I, I feel like because of the placement of that song, it kind of, it loses a little bit of punch for me. Like, you know, and again, I'm not really going to be focusing on lyrics too much on this one. Okay. Um, just because, just because of, because of all of the previ- stuff we talked about previously before, yeah. stated and, and like, you know, if I wanted to go in and critique lyrics, like that's, you know, these are not, you know, these are not my lyrics to critique right. on this album. Um, and, uh, yeah. I also didn't have the time to, properly dive into the lyrics to pull out the the meaning that really needs to be pulled out of it right um because i was kind of focusing more on the musical side of things because uh, that's where you felt like you had the ability to make more of a right commentary on it no i totally understand that um do you want to move on to a what's a song you really liked um that we haven't talked haven't hit on yet well so in that first four songs still is uh lady day and john coltrane which i i really love that song song. that's so like i said revolution sort of stands on its own you know also being the only song from this album that i've heard outside of that album right um and so uh i'm sort of listening really to the rest of the album whenever i turn it on um and so it's like save the children uh save the children is good it's it suffers from the same thing like by the time i was taking notes i'd already listened through this album like six seven times maybe right um and so yeah for me it was like the bass is the reason to listen to this song and the lyrics are really good too mm-hmm. um and it's got like a really good soul groove to it um but lady day and john coltrane like that's that uh, the uh, more up tempo compared to the last two songs. Um, kind of just a jam. That electric piano that's going in the background. Oof. It's so good. Um, and like every everybody who's playing an instrument in this track is doing exactly what they need to be doing to make this track good. And I love it. It's a good. I think it's a good blueprint. Uh, blueprint for kind of soul, funky, jazz, like anything within that mm-hmm. realm of. Yeah, no, this is how you this is how you stay together as a an instrument section in mm-hmm. in creating a, a background for whatever's gonna happen. Yeah. It's a it's a great song. I, I think it for me it stays more in that kind of like it was fun. It was kind of a love letter to Billy Holiday and, and John Coltrane, which is great. Love both of them. Fantastic jazz artists. It's a 
it's a little more fun. And I think this album where it shines more is when Gil Scott Heron is trying to do more um, social commentary than mm-hmm. just fun commentary personally. Right. So it didn't hit as, as much for me. Um, I but, think that's probably part of why I like it so much too, is that it is kind of like a light point in the album. It's yeah. uh, not, it's a lighter point in the album um, in terms of uh, uh, lyrical content. That is fair, yeah. It's, it's definitely probably the lightest song on the entire album. Right. Um, what What else you got is, is kind of a highlight, or have we hit all those already? Uh, no, we definitely haven't hit. Like, for for me, it's like every every other song to every three songs, I <laughs> right. have a star, because, like, I, I do really enjoy a lot of the songs from this album. I just feel like the album as a whole has too many too too much of the production sounds the same and it makes sense that it was recorded over two days and also like this is 1971 right um but just in the idea of like sitting and listening to this album uh it's a little little, tiring it's a little tiring it's a little homogenous it's it's a bit too much of the same thing musically for me um but but like the individual tracks a lot of them are so good Mm -hmm. um when you are who you are is the next one that i have starred uh i have these are my notes bass has no business going this hard up tempo great shift in energy fuck man this bass (laughs) guitar solo is fun blend of jazzy and like um early rock influence Um, like it definitely sounds like this is somebody who grew up listening to like the early days of rock and roll as they were learning guitar um the sax is great in the back. I mean, it's not it's not super present in the song, but it's great, which is really actually very interesting that it's uh, more of that like a, yeah, it's more of a supporting instrument. It's more of a, mm-hmm. another layer than it is something uh, a lead instrument. Um, yeah, I wish there was more sax in the song. is is the only uh, thing I would say about it, but I think it's uh, it's I fun. It's stellar. It's a it's a really fun song. I. I focused a little bit more on the lyrics just because I think the lyrics are more of the focus of this album than the musicality, even though the musicality on this song is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I really love um, the Rhodes piano on this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like just a, just a great use of that. The, for me, like the lyrics could theoretically be a, a little problematic these days. Um, yeah, they're, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't age as well as I think the rest of the album does. And I think that's, that's something that kind of held it back for me it's, a little it's bit. It's definitely got that kind of like, I wish, like, why don't you smile more mm-hmm. kind of feeling to it where it's like, Hey, it's not really up to you to decide how a, a woman uh, should yeah. be living her life. Which again, like it's not soup. It's not the most problematic. It's a little problematic, but for, yeah. for 1971, like you get what he's kind of going for. Right. It's more of a empower yourself, empower who you are as a, right. as a person. Don't let other people tell you, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's interesting that you mentioned the sax there because I feel like their instrumentation. It, I'm going to say that it feels compressed and I don't mean compressed in like the, um, production side, production yeah. side, but more of like everything stays within the same um range throughout the entire song nothing yeah. is allowed to yeah spill like outside little, of what it uh want. there's like a little yeah. drum fill in one and that's the closest we get to like right like the drums like the drums are in the fucking pocket in every song like they the drummer is 
drum is on great. point. Yeah, drums and um, bass. But there's yeah, both so of them. good. Uh, but there's a uh, there's a fill in one of the songs that I have written somewhere, and it's like that's where it goes from. This guy knows how to play like a good funk groove to. Oh, this guy knows how to play funk. Right. Like, oh, I wish this drummer had like had time to stretch his legs more right. in this album. And yeah, I think that's with the musicality in general. It's just one of those things where it just would have been nice for them to be themselves a little bit more. But I understand mm. why they weren't. You know, they were right. The the yeah. the point of this album is the vocals. The point of this album is the lyrics, and it's that it's Gil Scott Heron, and he's singing, and he's putting like he's full on taking his heart out of his chest and showing it to everybody. Right. And and I wrote down like this song is kind of where the album for me at least starts to kind of fall into a, a pattern music musically like it it it's when it hits like okay and we're kind of here for the rest of the album. Right. It's either slower or faster but it's it's kind of all all in the same thing. Right. Um, the only other one that I specifically pointed out as like a, a really, really high point, which is the last one in my top three is, uh, the namesake of the album pieces of a man. Mm -hmm. My God, what a fantastic, it really, I don't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure it's just vocals and piano. There might be there's, another, there's upright bass. It's upright that's, bass. Okay. Uh, that's the first appearance of the upright bass in the album. Okay. Um, and which is a nice change of pace. Uh, and yeah, the fact that there's no drums, like this is the only, I'm pretty sure this is the only track that doesn't have any drums. Yeah. This is the most spoken word. It gets to the entire album, um, outside of, uh, the revolution will not be televised, but that has such a good backing track to it, a backing, um, you know, drums, piano, bass and all that stuff. This is the most, like you would, you would see a stand up or, um, a spoken word poet get up with someone on piano and, a, and an upright bass. Right just pouring their heart out to you and just this very well done emotional, like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's scene, a, I could definitely breakdown. see that this was like, that this might've been lyrics that he wrote to be a spoken word poem. And mm -hmm. then they sort of assigned a melody to, or, yeah. or worked a melody into. And this is a, this is a song that he originally wrote about a neighbor that he saw who lost his job and kind of spiraled. Mm -hmm. And then he reworked it to be, um, his From father the perspective. Yeah. Of, yeah. But, you know, it, I think that also, again, this is me maybe um, dangerously speculating more than I should, but I think that also falls within more of the black American culture of everyone in your community is still your family mm -hmm. because we all, they, they all have, not we, because I'm a fucking privileged ass white dude, <laughs> but they all share this kind of generational understanding of what it means yeah. to be a, a second class citizen in in the country that they live right i i think uh just like a real quick aside that there's something um like this this is something that i'm sort of coming to terms with recently is that um i feel like in white american culture there's a lot of focus on being individualistic and there's a lot of focus on being being your own person and being uh you know bootstrapping yourself you right. know and like um out of that grows this sort of um isolationist way of approaching life where you're you know 
when something bad happens to you, you're not going to be reaching out to other people. Like you're going to be embarrassed to do that. Right. And you're, you know, when something bad happens to somebody else, it's like, well, that's somebody else. Whereas in a lot of other communities around the world, Mm -hmm. um, and specifically like communities of people of color where, you know, when something bad happens to somebody, that means that it's happened to the community, you know? Right. Um, and I, it's, it's something that I'm only kind of noticing recently, something that I'm only realizing about myself and about the world around me recently. And it's been like this really eye opening experience. Right. Um, I love the fact that it has so many specific references to so many different people attempting to, make this person feel better. Who's in the middle of falling apart because they lost their job and Mm. their life is kind of in the middle of shambles. And it's like, no, you guys don't get it. Like it's not going to help whatever you're trying to do. You know, the, the post uh, mailman saying like, Hey, don't take it personally because you're one of like nine people who got laid off today. Right. And then grandma, the grandma being like, no, trying to put the pieces back together and put it back on the table. It's like, no, that's not, you can try the best you can, but like, that's just not going to happen because you know, this, this person whose identity at the time was the fact that they were able to have a good paying job to put food on the table, lost that. And if they don't have that, what do they have? Mm. Um, I, I, I think it's the second most, second most impactful lyrically outside of a revolution will not be televised. Mm. Um, and I, I really like how stripped back the instrumentation of the entire track is. Yeah, that's uh, musically just like a really great like breath of fresh air that you know mm-hmm. we got uh, this down tempo, just upright bass, piano, and vocals. Um, then two two I think really good tracks back to back. After that, um, a sign of the ages. Uh, uh, also a bit more down tempo. We got brushes on the drums so it's not as uh not very as jazzy it's very jazzy um has a really good instrumental in the middle um and mm-hmm. it builds really well coming out of it it works really well with the lyrics coming out of that section yeah um it yeah i really enjoy that song i think you can take pieces of man a sign of the ages and then the next song we're going to talk about um or down you fall as kind of a, a trilogy of yeah. songs, even if lyrically they're not together, the musicality of it kind of creates a trilogy um, type feel. Yeah. Um, the notes that I put down for or down you fall is uh, great prog soul. Like it's a very prog solely type stuff, you know, um, changing of t- of tempos, time signatures, all that stuff. Mm. Um, and then that flute solo, though. Uh, yeah, I have flute solo written in all caps. Uh, I got certified banger. It's, it goes into double time. It's, uh, it's, it's prog soul and it's got a great flute. Well, like what else, what more could you ask? Well, it's jazz. Well, yeah, you gotta listen to more jazz. No, I do listen <laughs> to jazz, but also like this, this song, you gotta listen to more jazz from the seventies. Okay. Fair. <laughs> but, uh, this song specifically is kind of referenced as a, uh, standard of like, no, this was like progressive soul happening mm-hmm. at, at the time so um i wrote down uh, underneath and i think this is probably my favorite track on the album i wrote down i would love to see an animated music video to go along with this i i i love this song so much like 
animated video of like the song itself or like you want to see naruto running no along yeah. to this song. yeah i want to see a 2006 naruto supercut that's uh just emotional and no um no i just mean like i feel like uh the right artist uh, right. tripping on acid could listen to this song I see what you're and saying. Yeah. uh sc- scratch out a bunch of uh a bunch of cells and then work a story out from that backwards yeah. visually no i i understand <laughs> that um do you have any other high marks or do you want to move over to kind of the the low marks uh the prisoner is maybe tied for my favorite song i really like the prisoner it's really good it it goes places uh yeah it's it's hard to like it's really sparse in terms of instrumentation and the it all sort of comes together in these little moments mm-hmm. um where it sort of goes from this very spaced out very very empty uh feel into kind of more like a straightforward jazz sound right. for these very brief moments um and it sort of like elevates the the melody elevates the vocals during those little sections um it makes you feel like you're coming back to normality and then it just goes away from you again right which i think kind of goes with the theme of the song in general because you know it is just kind of all about kind of being a prisoner to multiple different things um and and how it can take you away from any sense of normality that you can have so right uh what else did i write here uh instrumentation or instrumental is great as usual like every anytime there's an instrumental on this album it's so good yeah the the band is is so tight on this entire album it's a really high point um yeah also this song has a very repetitive bass motif going on i mean like the whole song is very um it's got this sort of like trudging mm-hmm. uh very like down tempo downbeat emphasized sort of thing going on right um but then that instrumental the bass picks up a bit more um Mm -hmm. and by picks up a bit more i mean is playing two notes in a bar instead (laughs) of one (laughs) but that's a big change that Um, is a big change yeah and well that's the thing is that when you have you know when you've got it stripped down to the point that the most of the song is a very small change makes for a huge difference in feel. Right. Um, and then the piano is just like wandering over the top of that sort of new baseline. Right. And it's, uh, I love it. It's It's good. It's, it is really good. It's a, it's a very solid end mm -hmm. to the, to the album. It's a, it's a nice change of pace compared to what the rest of the album kind of kind of feels like from a home is where the hate is onward. It, it yeah sits within us. It, de- it definitely yeah. feels like the front end of the album, and like you know it would have been on vinyl when it was mm-hmm. released. So side A yeah. would have been like the funk groovier side, and then side B is more of kind of like the jazz, yeah, uh, jazzier, more experimental, right? Um. But yeah, there's there's good good songs all right. all throughout it. I feel like I I just feel like if it got shuffled a bit more, right, it might be overall a more listenable album front to back. Mm, mm, um, mm. 
right, yeah. Um, so moving over to uh, the contemporary reviews for the album at the time, because we've we've kind of talked about everything we need to about the album. There was not a whole lot because um, this album was not widely circulated at the time. In fact, it mm-hmm. took two years for the first solo to uh, or single to be released from the album. It, the first single was released in 1973. Wow. Um, and it charted, you know, and, and it was doing well. But yeah, they the recording company didn't release a, a single for it for two years. So obviously not a whole lot of people were picking it up at the time. Um, but, uh, billboard did review it. They didn't say anything about it, but they gave it four out of four stars. All right. Um, and then Rolling Stone didn't, uh, review it, but they had an article about it. Um, and the only quote from it I was able to find because it's so poorly archived online, Mm -hmm. um, was this here's an album that needs discovering. It is strong, deeply soulful and precise possessed of that rare and wonderful quality in the time of hollow obligatory reverence in quotes intelligence. The material is tough and real quote unquote, rel- um, revelant while avoiding on one hand, empty cliche and on the other fierce rhetoric, its own cl- kind of cliche. It may not be easy to find, but is an involving and important album, especially so because of its successful and accessible use of jazz. It is worth looking for. So at the time, Rolling Stone, one of the writers for it was just like, listen, none of y'all this and listen to it right now. None of y'all know about this, but you need you need to you need to try to find it to do everything you can to find it. Um, And those were the only contemporary stuff about it i was able to find there was just nothing there was nothing on it this is an album that has gotten way more respect and credit and due throughout the decades after it right um speaking of um the decades after it all music gave it a 9.5 mm-hmm. and said gil scott heron's 1971 album pieces of a man set a standard for vocal artistry and political awareness that few musicians will ever match the Guardian gave it five out of five s- stars um, mm. and said that, um, you know, it's one of the most influential albums for hip hop, jazz, soul that you can find out there. Um, Pitchfork also in a, in a uh, can, going back and reviewing stuff that they had never reviewed before, gave it nine out of ten, um, which from, you know, just four albums in, that's really high for Pitchfork because they usually stick around the sixes, the f- the fives, the the sevens. Yeah. Um, and the quote I found from it um, that I, I liked a lot um, personally was it teaches the listener, the activist and the fighter that there are ample space for every emotion, mm. um, which I think does a good job of kind of summing up what, what this album is. It's, right. it's for everyone and also teaching everyone that there's reasons for everything else to exist that you are not. It's also like a surprisingly poetic review. Right. Yeah. It was, it was the last quote that I, it was like towards the end of the review after they did track by track stuff. And I was like, that's really good. That's mm. a, that's a really good, good job. Pitchfork. This <laughs> the, the writer on that did a, did a really good job. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's review this. Let's give it the only fucking score that matters. Yeah. Let's give it the only fucking score that matters. No one cares how many stars you give this shit. No <laughs> one cares how many out of tens this is. Nobody reads pitchfork anymore. Right. Yeah. No one knows what 
NEM is. No one knows what Billboard is anymore. They only know about the list. The tape, the tape makers. Yeah, list. the tape makers. The endless tape. List. Yeah. Uh, um, so we're rating it out of four. Out of four. Um, I'll go first this time. I think it gets a little repetitive. I think it mm-hmm. doesn't get as inventive in some ways as it should, especially compared to the incredible highlights of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that's not, you know, pieces of a man, um, home is where the hatred is. The revolution will not be televised prisoner. Like everything outside of that is just like, it, it does not push the boundaries as much as I wish it did. Mm-hmm. Still though, just a fantastic album, fantastic band, fantastic lyricism. I really like the singing. I understand it's not the most perfected. I I think he's really affected. Effective though. Yeah, no, um, that's I, I feel like I didn't properly uh express what I was trying to say. I, I think that his voice is extremely emotive in this album. Mm-hmm. I think that if you were looking at it purely in terms of how well he sings, he's not a phenomenal singer. Right. Technically it, not the best. But it works for this, for what he's doing. Yeah. And that's important. So with all of that, I'm, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a three out of four, but I think overall importance and emotional impact it's a four out of four so like if we did give half ratings it'd uh-huh. be a three three point five but we don't we don't do that shit point five out of four but uh, uh yeah so i'm gonna give it a three out of four i would yeah i would agree with that i like i think that it's got a lot of good songs in it um i think that uh in terms of lyrical content and, and cultural impact, it's, it's an incredibly important album. Um, but it's not necessarily something that I'd be popping on to listen to on a regular basis right? or sitting down to listen to, um, very often. Um, it feels like an album you recommend to people because of, the importance of the album, right. not because of how listenable the album uh, yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's one of those things that everybody needs to listen to. Um, and, but not necessarily everybody needs to listen to all the time. So what's your, what's your score? Yeah. So I, I would say three out of four and I, I would say if we did do half scores, I would, I would bump it up a half just, uh, you know, for the sake of like this, is, this album is extremely influential and incredibly important part of musical history. Right. Um, all right. So if we reference the list, what the list tells us that if we give it a three out of four, it uh, falls into number two behind Boarded House Reach by Jack White, but ahead of Blood Pressures by The Kills. (laughs) How do we feel about Pieces of a Man falling in between those two albums? I'm going to be real. I would bump it up above Boarding House Reach. Yeah? Uh, Like... Yeah, uh, I feel weird about saying that a I I feel weird about ranking an album that is a man whose entire musical identity is based out of the musical identity of black people 40 years prior. Uh, then exploring genres uh, like, you know, that are, that are other just outside of his wheelhouse that are also majority black genres, right? Yeah, exactly. I I don't think that uh, it, it feels wrong to say that 
Jack White, the white guy's uh, jazz fusion hip hop experiment is going to be ranked higher than Gil Scott Heron, the guy who like practically, you know, invented some of uh, some of the aspects of modern hip hop. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I say let's bump it up. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's weird. I think Boarding House Reach is a better album. Yeah. But I think Pieces of a Man is better than Boarding House Reach, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. Like no, Boarding that's... House Reach, I, I like more as an album. I think it's better as an album. But also, I think Pieces of a Man is just a better album. It's a more important album, I think, also. Right. Which we're trying to weigh less in general on on this list but sometimes that's going to happen where it's just like listen if boarding house reach had came out in you know 1971 mm-hmm. it would i think it would it would go higher than pieces of a man personally yeah um not specifically because of the production techniques it uses but just the way that it implements all these different uh, musical techniques and mm-hmm. and fuses so many different musical ideas together but boarding house reach doesn't happen without Gil Scott Heron. Right. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So we're going, we're, we're bumping it. Yeah. I would like, I would like to bump it up. Yee-haw! All right. So the list currently looks like pieces of a man. Number one, number two is boarding house reach. Number three is blood pressures and number four, still in the top five. Remember, <laughs> 10 by Pearl Jam. <laughs> it is still one of the top five best albums ever released. Yeah. Uh, also bottom five. Uh, well, so is Blood <laughs> Pressures by The Kills and Boarding House Reach yeah. by Jack White is in the bottom five. As well. All right. So, well, let's see if we can find out what the fifth album is going to be. Yeah. All right. We are going to the next albums on the list. Jared, roll the 10 sided die and see what we find. Oh, no. Sorry. Three. It's a three. It's a three? All right. You sure it's a three? It's definitely a three. Okay. I asked you that so I can pull up the uh, list. It could also be a three with a bite taken out or an eight with a bite taken out of it. All right. So the number three that we have on the list that you have recommended is Destroyer's Rubies by Destroyer. Oh, yeah. I've been meaning to dive into that one for a while. So we will be doing that one next week. Would you like to hand me the 10 sided die? I'm just, uh, all right. And I rolled a one, which means we are doing wasteland baby by Hoisier. 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 (laughs) Which I'm very excited for because it's his lesser known second follow-up album oh so that's gonna be fun he released more than one album yeah he did release more than one album and we'll see how it stacks up i'm very excited to see what you you feel about this person because i think i have an idea of what you what you think about him my, my lips are sealed Mums we're the gonna see next time on tape makers thank you all for joining us as always you can find us on facebook at tape makers pod you will be able to eventually find us on twitter at tape makers pod you can email us at tapemakerspod at gmail.com uh you can find both of us online if you search hard enough uh and we also accept carrier pigeon yeah smoke signals um 
mail by uh, Wells Fargo uh, stagecoach. Um, basically any old school form Hashtag of technology not sponsored. Yeah. Well, but also, Hey, Wells Fargo, what's up? <laughs> but actually enough, not actually fuck Wells Fargo. Though. Yeah. Actually fuck Wells Fargo though. So, uh, for Jared, I am Josh. Thank you all for joining tape makers and we will join you next time. <laughs>